0: My friend, Dr. Albert Reyes, is the president and CEO of Buckner International. Been there in that role for about for a little over 10 years. And uh, there was a succession plan. Dr. Kent Hall was the uh, president and CEO before him. And when he was passing the mantle on to Dr. Reyes, uh, he gave him a picture of an old building. Buckner has been around for 143 years. Robert Buckner established his ministry to orphans and widows right after the Civil War, uh, when a lot of orphans, uh, you know, were left without their parents. and And he gave him uh, a picture of an old Buckner building with a demolition uh, machinery knocking it down. And he told this to uh, Dr. Reyes. He said, "The reason that Albert, that uh, Buckner, is still around after so many decades." is because it's never been afraid to change. And that is true. And, and so it sits there on his desk, and he remembers he has a mission to accomplish, but that sometimes to accomplish that mission, as the world around us changes, we have to change. Now, Calvary, Baptist Church of Macallan turned 65 years old this week, this coming week. And I think we could say the same thing about us. The reason that we're still here. The reason that we're still thriving, the, the reason that we're still making disciples is because we haven't been afraid to change. Our original building is not here any longer, but the mission and the vision that God has given us continues on. The church of God continues to move forward. Our, our, we hold on to certain things that should never change the lordship of Jesus Christ, the authority of scriptures. The Great Commission, the Great Commandment, those stay the same, but the way that we do ministry, the way that we reach a hurting world changes over time. We, for a long time, had a, a program here at our church that we call Faith. It was the way that we shared the gospel uh, with others. And, and, and so we are so excited. Andre already talked about this. We had Made to Multiply yesterday. We had trainers that are here from, from Dallas that came, and and they helped over 80 of our people here to learn a different way to share the gospel, different methodology, same gospel. And, and so when we when we think about that, we we realize that God is not a God that changes, but he is a God of change. See? God, God doesn't change, but he's in the business of changing. Yes? He, he told. He told, uh, through Isaiah, he told the people in Isaiah 43, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, see I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? And then when Jesus was talking to a, a religious scholar and this religious scholar was trying to understand who Jesus was, Jesus told him, listen, you really cannot understand, you cannot experience the kingdom of God unless you have radical change. John 3, 3 says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's radical change. And then the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write to the Romans and to tell them, you need to seek change, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't stay the same, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed by the renewing of your mind. And then Paul says to the Corinthians that, the evidence of salvation is the new; it is this change. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Then we fast forward to the very end of redemption history, and in John's vision, he reports Revelation twenty one five. He who was seated on the throne said, "I am making everything new." That's our God. The God who made everything from nothing at the beginning of creation has been in the business of making things new and he will do so all the way until the end. What a great God we have. Now, we know God doesn't change, but he's in the business of changing. So the question for you and me today is, have we let God change us? Have you allowed this transforming power of Christ to change your life? Have you allowed this new covenant that Christ brings about to change you. Are you living in newness of life? We continue in our series on the book of Hebrews this summer. We've been going chapter by chapter in the book of Hebrews, and, and we're saying Jesus is better, better than the angels, better than Moses, better as he's a better sacrifice. He offers a better rest, and today we're going to talk about a better covenant, and I'd like to invite you to go with me to chapter 8 uh, in Hebrews. That's our chapter for today, and we'll begin uh, reading in verse 1, and it reads like this Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the, pain, the main point of what we are saying is this We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts. And sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were there, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. The passage begins with saying, the main point of what we're saying, it's a reminder that this idea begins to be presented chapters before. We were introduced in chapter four or five several Sundays ago to the idea that Jesus is a better high priest. And because he's a better high priest, there are multiple implications. So about three or four Sundays ago, we said, because he's a better high priest, he can represent us before God perfectly. And he can represent God to us perfectly. That was Father's Day. Then we looked at chapter six the following Sunday, and we said, because he's a better priest, then he is a fulfillment of God's promises. He is the anchor that holds beyond the veil on chapter 6. Then last Sunday we said, as a better priest, he's also the ultimate sacrifice. He is the sacrifice that ends all other sacrifices. He is the fulfillment of all the sacrificial system, chapter 7. And so today we say, because he's a better high priest, then we get a better covenant, the new covenant. So let me talk about that with you for a few minutes. In the new covenant, Christ turns all failures into new beginnings. You know, when something doesn't work, you need to replace it, right? When you keep trying the same thing over and over again, and you're not getting the results that you want, then maybe you need to change it. I think people quote Albert Einstein as saying, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is a definition of insanity, right? Listen, If you're on a diet for months and you haven't lost weight, you might need to change your diet. I'm just saying. If you're trying to get out of debt and you made a budget and, and two years later you're more in debt than you were before, then something needs to change. When something is not working, you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. And that's what happens with the covenants. God, in his infinite love and mercy, established a covenant with his people. He called Abraham and promised to give him a land and to make a a, a people out of his descendants. And and he delivered his promise by giving him Isaac. And from Isaac came Jacob. And from Jacob came the 12 sons. And the 12 sons became the 12 tribes. And and they found themselves uh, eventually in Egyptian slavery. And God heard their cry. And he came down to rescue them. And with a strong and mighty hand, he delivered them and took them from Egypt through the wilderness, leading them to the promised land. And in that journey, he presents to them the opportunity to enter into a covenant relationship with him. At Mount Sinai, Moses presents this invitation from the Lord. The Lord says to the people, listen, I want to be your God. I want to bless you. I want to be with you. I want to protect you. And I want you to be my people. I want you Be a reflection of my holiness. I want you to show other nations who I am. And so, why don't we have this agreement? I'll be your God, you'll be my people. And the people said, That's really cool. I mean, just a little while ago, we were just a bunch of slaves in Egypt. And now, the living God, the true God, the God who brought us out of Egypt with a strong arm, who opened the Red Sea for us, is offering to have a special relationship with us. And they said, Yes. And so then God gives Moses these commandments, and Moses gives the commandments to the people. This is, this is what it looks like, guys. This is what God expects of you. God will do this for you if you do this. And he gives all the commandments, all the law to the people, and the people say, yes, we'll obey. We'll do everything that God says. And so Moses takes that moment, and there's some sacrifices, and and, and there's blood and Moses sprinkles the blood on the altar and he sprinkles the blood on the people as a sign of that covenant relationship. It, it, it is that moment where the people have agreed to enter into a special relationship with God. So then Moses goes up to Mount Sinai again to get the tablets of stone and, and, and he goes up and he's in the presence of God and, and, and the people are waiting for him and they think he's taking too long. They, they say, we don't even remember what he looks like. He hasn't posted anything on social media in a long time. I haven't gotten a text from Moses. We don't even know if he's still up there or not. And we just got to get on. So they tell Aaron, why don't you make us some idols? And Aaron says, well, bring your jewelry, bring your gold. And, And they made a golden calf. And they started to worship an idol. That was one of the first commandments that God gave them. If you're going to be my people, you can't have any other gods. You can't have graven images. You can't worship idols like the other nations. And one of the first things that they were given is one of the first things that they broke. It's like, it's like a husband being unfaithful to his wife during their honeymoon. And yet God was patient and faithful, he continued to lead his people and the people got into a cycle of disobedience and then repentance and forgiveness and restoration and disobedience and it was just a cycle that went on for generations and eventually we just know that the covenant failed no god didn't fail god's word does not fail there was nothing wrong with the com- commandments with the with the covenant itself but But the covenant relationship failed. Verse 7, chapter 8. says, for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is a covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds. I write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or to say say to one another, know the Lord. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. God found fault with the people. The problem wasn't God's law, it was the disobedience of the people. So, because of their continuous disobedience, God says, I need to establish a new covenant where sinful humanity could have a new beginning. This old covenant continues to show the failure of the people, the inability to keep my commandments. We need to do something different, something new. And the only way to do that, the only way to establish a new covenant is to have someone who is able to keep all of the law and who is able to go and be a high priest and a sacrifice, and that's Jesus. God's son himself will come. He kept the entire law. He kept every commandment. He was perfect in every way. Then he went to the cross and, and he died on our behalf. And it is through him that we have a new covenant. And our old failures can become new beginnings. The new covenant opens up the way for a new start. Which is right, it says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Isn't that beautiful? That when God forgives you, he will remember your sins no more. When God forgives you, he will never bring it up again. Some of your family members might. But God won't. When God forgives, it's done. It's clean. It's new. It's hard to have a new beginning when you're carrying all of your past, isn't it? When you carry your shame and your guilt and your failures, it's hard to start again. It's hard to start at zero when you're weighing in the negative. Just hard to, to be on ground level when, when your hole is so deep that you can't get out. And that's what the new covenant does, that's what Jesus does. He, he lifts you up from wherever you are, and He says, You can have a brand new start. Have you ever had a new beginning? Have you ever had a fresh start where all your failures, all your sins, all your past mistakes were erased forever? You could start all over again. Have you ever been in the presence of God knowing what it is to be fully forgiven? Christ has come to give you a second chance. Christ has come to give you a new beginning. In the new covenant, Christ turns old failures into new beginnings. Also in the new covenant, Christ turns outward rituals into inward devotion. I recently uh, watched a movie where uh, it's about a family, a father and a a mother and their two daughters. And the dad uh, is an immigrant who came to the United States and and he worked really hard uh, to make a living and to go to school and Graduated from college as an architect. And he really wanted to make sure that his family would never want like he did. And, and so uh, he worked hard uh, to market. He built his own house. When nobody would hire him as an architect, he built his own house so that other people could see the kind of work that he could do. And, uh, and, and then he, he, he was successful. And, and he wanted to provide for his daughters an opportunity to get a quality college education, and for his family to have everything that they needed. And and yet, as his adult daughters are trying to figure out what they're going to do in life, he finds himself in, in marriage counseling. He's, his marriage is in trouble. And when his daughter comes home from law school and, and she, uh, uh, she brings her fiance home, and, and they get a tour of this beautiful, elegant house that he has built, and and, and the fiance says, makes some comment about the, the beautiful home that, that it is and how warm it is. And, and, uh, and so the father really proud starts talking about how he built that home. And as an architect, he designed it and, and all the effort and work that he has put into, into making sure that this home is there. And, and his wife turns to him and she says, you're talking about the house. He's talking about the home. And it was a sobering moment when he realizes that he spent all of his life paying attention to the external stuff of the house and he's missed the opportunity to know his wife and know his daughters in an intimate way. It's easy to focus all of our energies on the outward things of life that we miss the inward. We can worry about our exterior image, and neglect our interior person. We can do all of the outward things of religion and miss God. The old covenant had a lot of external elements. The tabernacle was, the tent of meetings was where God would meet his people and there were very specific instructions about this tabernacle, the size and the materials and, and the places where people should go and and uh, and then there was instructions about animal sacrifices. What kind of animals? When do you offer them? How do you offer them? And feasts and festivals. When do you observe them? What day of the month? And what do you do during that festival? What do you eat? There was instructions that were specific about the priest's garments, the headpiece and the chestpiece had specific colors and specific meanings. There's even instructions about their undergarments of the priests. I mean, it was very specific. Highly symbolic. All of those things, the tabernacle and the sacrifices and, and the priesthood and the festivals, were symbols that were outward symbols, but they pointed to a deeper reality. Now, one could follow all of the external rituals and yet miss God's presence. In verse 4 of Hebrews 8, we read, For there are already priests who offer the gifts. Prescribed by the law, verse 5 says, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. Did you catch that? A copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. That, what it's saying is every aspect of the old covenant was a shadow of what is in heaven. There were visible ways to speak of an invisible reality. There were temporal ways in which people could know that there was something eternal. Now, in the new covenant, all of those symbols become a reality. In Christ, all of the things that the law and the rituals were talking about become fulfilled. And in that new covenant, Christ brings the outward rituals into an inward relationship. He brings ultimate meaning to what was a shadow or was being foreshadowed. What God desired for his people was not that they would just know the rituals. He wanted them to know him. Every commandment, every sacrifice, every ritual was supposed to point to a God who is holy, holy a God who is patient, a God who is merciful, a God who is loving, a God who wants to be known and wants to know his people, to recognize his beauty, his greatness, his power. The problem is that sometimes people fall in love with religion instead of falling in love with God. Sometimes people fall in love with rituals rather than fall in love with the one that they can have a relationship. So that's why Christ comes and he establishes a new covenant with us. It's not about outward rituals or religious practices, but it's about an inward devotion. It's about about a living God. We sang about that. He's a living God. His presence is before us. He wants to breathe life into us. Verse 11 of of Hebrews 8 says, No longer will they teach their neighbor to say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. You know, that's been God's desire all along, that every person would know him. God is not looking to establish some kind of hierarchy where some people have more access to him than others. He's not setting up a multi level marketing thing where you have to go through certain things to get to the top. God wants every person to know Him directly every man, every woman, every child, every senior adult, every person from every background, from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people group can have direct access to the Holy God of Israel. That's good news. That's what the new covenant is about. We have something good in Jesus Christ. It's about knowing him. It's about the inner life. It's about loving God from the inside out. There will be external demonstrations that we love him, but it begins inside. What a better covenant that is. Let's not trade our new covenant for outward religion. Let's not fall in love with the house lest we miss the home, the spiritual family. And while we're here, let us not expect the world to behave like Christians when they don't know Jesus. Sometimes we wonder, why does the world behave like that? Why do they think that? Why do they do that? Well, I'll tell you why. They don't know Jesus. It's ironic because there are some people who say they know Jesus and they don't act like Christians, And yet we expect the world to behave like Christians. But if we want to change the world, we we have to know this. External religion did not work for the Jews, and it's not going to work for any other people group, for any nation. If we want to change the world, if we want to change our community, if we want to change uh, our, our, our nation, instead of telling them to behave like Christians, let's introduce them to Christ. Let's help them come to know Jesus. He's the one that makes a difference. In the new covenant, Christ turns outward rituals into inward devotion an inward life. a, A life instead of a rule, which is the third thing I want to share with you. In the new covenant, Christ turns obsolete rules into revived hearts. In the same way that outward rituals do not guarantee knowledge of God, The law does not guarantee obedience to God. In the old covenant, God gave his commandments. His commandments are true and pure. But yet, the law is a problem to us because the law, as perfect as it is, is our accuser. The law points the finger and says, you're not perfect. You're not holy. You can't be righteous. You come short every time. That's why I think it's silly when we think that we can legislate morality. Now, you, we, we need to have laws and we need to have rules that, that help people somehow stay in their lane to, to stay in some kind of order. But the new covenant is about taking God's perfect law and putting it in people's hearts. Instead of commandments that are inscribed on tablets of stone, now they become a law that is in our hearts. The prophet Jeremiah is who he's quoting here, 31, 33. This is a covenant I will make with the people of Israel after the time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I think Jeremiah and Hebrews, the Hebrews writer are saying, this was God's plan all along. God wanted his law to be in people's heart. God wanted people's heart to to love him instead of loving sin, instead of loving rebellion. But the sinful heart cannot help but sin. The only answer to a sinful heart is is one who can change the heart. And that's what Christ came to do. He came to change our hearts. He came to give us a new heart. The commandments in all the scriptures are, are inspired by the Holy Spirit. But if you don't have the Spirit of God within you, the commandments are dead to you. The only way that the commandments can, can mean life to you is if the Spirit gives you life, if your heart is revived by the Spirit. That's what the prophet Ezekiel was talking about in Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. All of this, all of this was fulfilled when Christ became our high priest. He's established a new covenant with us. And in this new covenant, obsolete rules are replaced with revived hearts. You know, God's law doesn't change. What changes is our hearts, is our ability to obey. God's commandments are not obsolete. What is obsolete is any ritual, any sacrifice, anything that is meant to replace the inward work of the Spirit in our lives. That's what becomes obsolete. Verse 13, says, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. The old covenant was good, but it didn't change people. So the new covenant, because of Christ, who transforms us from the inside out, is better. Yesterday, my two-year-old grandson, Daniel, turned two. And uh, we had a birthday party and... um, And we've enjoyed watching Daniel grow. He's at the point uh, of his life where he says words, some of them in English, some in Spanish, some in sign language. He's almost potty trained. He runs fast. He rides his little scooter all over the place, and we try to keep up with him. He loves life. He loves food. He loves swimming and being wherever there is water. The one thing he doesn't love is the word no. He just doesn't like it. And I understand because, I mean, that happens to all of us, right? When you're told no, he doesn't understand that the reason he's being told no is because his parents love him and they know something he doesn't know. They know what's best. They can see what he cannot see. All he knows is when he's told no that he goes against what he wants. And then as a parent of adult children, that. When I watched that, I kind of smiled, and then I'm, uh, I'm comforted by knowing that when your children become adults, there comes a point when your children, who had to keep your rules when they were at home, and then they're not at home, and they don't have to keep your rules, they call you and they say, Mom, you were right. Dad, I need your advice. Mom, what do you think about this? And then we give them advice, and, and they do it. They don't have to anymore, but they do it. And I think about the fact that there, there's a time in our lives when we're so young and immature that, that we don't understand the rules. We don't understand why the commandments. And so they go against our nature. But then when Christ comes into our lives, he comes to change our hearts so that what we get instead of an external no or an external yes Instead of thinking of the don'ts and the do's, what we get is a heart that wants to do what God wants us to do because we trust him, because we know he loves us, and because we love him. And that's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant is a reminder of what we should do if we want to relate to God. The new covenant provides the power to do it because we want to do it, because we love God. And because we know how much he loves us. And today, my invitation to you in this new covenant that Christ offered to you in Christ is to come to him and have a completely new beginning. Bring all your failures. Bring all your sin. Bring all your guilt, your shame, your struggles, your past. And leave it at the feet of Jesus. And get a brand new start. Because he's already taken care of all your sin and all your shame and all your guilt at the cross. And he rose from the dead to give you a new life. Today, you can have a new beginning. Today, you can pray that prayer and receive this free gift that God gives you in Jesus Christ. Enter into a new covenant relationship. Will you do that? Whether you're watching online or whether you're here and you've never done it. Today, you can do that. And if you've already done it, if you're already part of the new covenant, then my challenge to you today is to live every day with the openness for God's change in your life. To live every day not forsaking the inner life. To be careful that you don't go back to an outward religion where you're just doing check marks on external actions and you're forsaking the inner life where God is transforming you every day until the day he returns. Would you stand with me and bow your heads as you think about your response today? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the new covenant. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the new opportunity. Thank you for the power of the Spirit to make us alive in you. I pray that right now, Father, if there's anyone here, present or online, who's not entered into the new covenant, who's not known you as Savior and Lord, who's not experienced your forgiveness, that today they would say yes. And they would allow you to come in and cleanse and heal and restore and make a new person, bring life, Father, would you do that right now? For the rest of us, would you call us to a deeper inner life? Would you call us to obedience to your spirit? Would you call us not to settle for old religion when we have something new in you every day?